Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of a Shabbat teaching by TBA rabbinic intern Nico Losarelli. The title of this year is Wake Up, Wake Up. I've got a cup of coffee in front of me. I'm trying to wake up. We've all got some tea, coffee, food. Some of us don't drink coffee. Some of us just, uh, <laughs> what'd you say? There you go. There you go. Um, and, uh, you know, we're about to uh, walk into, not walk into, but transition into uh, falling back, right? The opposite of daylight saving times. And we're going to daylight savings time, excuse me. Oh, saving time. Daylight saving time. All right, cool. Um and uh, we're going to be telling ourselves to wake up, wake up, and we have to set our alarms one hour earlier. Um, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, so today I want to focus a little bit on some of the mysterious figures that appear throughout Torah and in some places in Tanakh. These mysterious figures that we don't, we aren't sure if they are mortal, if they are God's messengers, or if they're agents of God that have some sort of semi-divine quality, um, and we're going to look just to start at one of the one of the stories from uh, this week, upcoming week's Parashat Chayesara. Um, now, I'm just going to read this first part in English for us, which can be found, I think, on the second page of your source sheet. Just real quick, so we can orient ourselves here. I'm going to read it in the English. Abraham was now old, advanced in years. And God had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said to the senior servant of his household, who, who had charge of all that he owned, put your hand under my thigh, and I will make you swear by God, the God of heaven and the God of the earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell, but will go to the land of my birth and get a wife for my son Isaac. And the servant said to him, what if the woman doesn't consent to follow me to this land? Shall I then take your son back to the land from which you came? Abraham answered him, on no account must you take my son back there. God, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from my native land, who promised me on oath, saying, I will assign this land to your offspring, will send a messenger before you and will get a wife for my son from there. And if the woman does not consent to follow you, you shall be clear of this oath to me. But do not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of his master Abraham and swore to him, as bidden. So I want to focus in uh, on this verse, 20, Genesis 40, uh, 24, 7, excuse me. Um, it says, God, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from my native land, who promised me on oath, saying, I will assign this land to your offspring, will send a messenger before you, and you will get a wife for my son from there. What stands out to you about this verse, about this verse specifically, and about even about this story? So that's okay. Um, so you're saying the creator's uh, capable of anything, even though Abraham is advanced in, advanced in age. So we're also going to have um, Eli is going to have the microphone to help uh, pass around to to people who are responding, um, and we'll do a little bit of I'll do a little bit of repeating if we need to repeating, which is totally fine. Um, great, perfect, thank you. Anything else? <laughs> Does anything else stand out to us about this verse here? Yeah, yes, sir. Just one second, let Eli get you. God did, I mean, Abraham didn't like the Canaanites. 
Yeah, that's interesting. So that sort of harkens us back to Lech Lecha, right? Um, it's sort of it's sort of this repetition, like like um, the God, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from my native land, right? That that sort of like calls us back to Reishit twelve one Lech Lecha Me'atzecha Mo'eladetcha Uve'atzecha, right? to a land that I will show you. Go from your birthplace, your father's house, your land of your your native land to a land that I will show you. Anything else? Yes, Aviva? The woman's voice and will matters. She has to consent to want to come to the land that's a great of Israel point. or of Canaan. Yeah, that's really great. I love that. I have to admit, I'm playing a little bit guess what I'm thinking right now, which I, I don't like it when people do that, but I'm actually really enjoying everything that everyone has to say here. Um, so if there are any other... Any other things that we're noticing here? I'll take one or two more. Yes, Smolka. I just think it's really interesting that this idea of he's he's quoting God's promises. And like, mm-hmm. it was just last week, I think, that God takes, Av, Av, well, Avram right. outside and says, look at those stars. Can you count them? That's right. Your descendants are going to be as numerous as that. Mm-hmm. And And yet he's saying, it's like, he's it's almost like he's he's got this promise from god but now he's talking about getting a wife for his son Mm -hmm. so it's kind of like it's kind of like he's taking his own initiative in light of the fact that he's gotten this promise from god that's really interesting so i think that that leads us nicely into sort of the the read my mind game that i was playing um you read my mind good job good job um so we have this statement. So in the so in the English it says, "I will." Uh, um, okay, so so God God will send a messenger before you and will get you a wife for my son from there. Uh, so God yishlach malachol lefanecha velakachta isha livnei misham. So Abraham is saying God will send a messenger before you. It's a little chutzpahdek, right? Usually we're told. God, you know, God sent Samalach, God sent a messenger, um, or a messenger went before them. But Abraham is saying, don't worry, I hear you, You're, you are worried, but God will send a messenger before you. Um, which I think is just remarkable. Um, one could think of it as, you know, Abraham having total faith that, that God will make good on God's promise to Abraham. You could also take it to mean that Abraham is assuming that, yeah, God is going to send a malach is going to send a messenger like God always does, which I don't know. could be a little bit of a risky move, a little bit of a risky statement because, you know, what if, what if that is offensive to God, right? What if God says, you know what? I'm actually not going to be sending an angel before you. What would happen? Spoiler. It's okay. Everything works out at least in this part of the story. Um, and I want to bring us, bring our attention to, to one idea um, from commentator Ibn Ezra on what he has to say about what, what, what does this statement mean? I think that it seems, well, first of all, let's read it. Um, can I have a, a volunteer to read um, either in the Hebrew and the English or the English? Louis? <clears throat> He will send his angel before thee. Mm-hmm. This is a prayer. If it were a prophecy, Abraham would not have said, and if the woman 
be uh, be not willing to follow thee. Right. So what's Ibn Ezra saying here? He's trying to make it, to walk it back and make Avram less chutzpani. Less chutzpani. You know? Okay. Great. Anything else? Is anybody else picking up on something? Great. I think that's exactly it. I think that Ibn Ezra is a little uncomfortable with this idea that Abraham, uh, Abraham was just like, don't worry, God's going to send an angel. I think Ibn Ezra is like, oh, far be it for Abraham to tell God what to do. No, it's, it's okay. It's a prayer. He's actually praying that God will send an angel. Now let us move forward to the next part, uh, section of the story here. Um, does anybody feel moved to read in the English? Yeah, the, so this is uh, Reishi 24, 11 through 15. Yeah, great. Thank you, Eli. He made the camels kneel down by the well outside the city at evening time, the time when women come out to draw water. And he said, oh, God of my master Abraham's house, grant me good fortune this day and deal graciously with my master Abraham. So if I can just interrupt you. So this is, this is Abraham's servant speaking. Here I stand by the spring as the daughters of the, of the townspeople come out to draw water. Let the maiden to whom I say, please lower your jar that I may drink, and who replies, drink, and I will also water your camels. Let her be the one whom you have decreed for your servant Isaac. Thereby shall I know that you have dealt graciously with my master. He had scarcely finished speaking when Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcha, the wife of Abraham's brother Nahor, come came out with her jar on her shoulder. Great. Thank you. So what, if anything, stands out to us about this moment? Right. So Eliezer, uh, Abraham's servant, is sort of willing and hoping that this person will appear and fit the criteria that Abraham is, is, is uh, asking for. Yes, Aviva. So it's just so interesting because we've just been learning about how God has given 10 tests to Abraham and Sarah. Mm -hmm. And here we're at this point where we are seeing you know, these protagonists, these characters also kind of testing God. I oh, mean, this Gamal test that Eliezer has created to find the perfect wife for Isaac, you know, is a test not just of the future wife-to-be, but also kind of testing God. Like, is he here having prophecy when he creates this test, or is he praying to God, or is he testing God to make this happen? Like bargaining or creating right. like a gamble. And that's, I think, the same question that came up before with Abraham when he's giving Eliezer instructions. Is he praying to God? Is he kind of like creating this gamble with God or is he having prophecy? And right. is there a limit to what, when we pray to God that we can ask for? That's like great. If, how many of us walk around and are like, I just need a sign, God, give me a sign, <laughs> yeah. you know? That's like, like Gidon, right? I think Gidon is, he's, he's the one who continually asks for signs from God's and, and when, and when Shoftim, right? It's kind of like a very chutzpah, like God, just show me, like, I know you're showing me signs, show me one more sign, show me one more sign, it's got, you know. Yeah, yeah, that's Yiftach. Yeah, we don't need to get into that. Um, but uh, uh, but yes. Um, so yeah, so it sort of seems like there are two things going on here, right? There's either um, the chutzpidik angle, right, of like, don't worry, God will send, God will provide, which, you know, could also think, okay, that's, that's like emunah, that's, that's belief, that's faith. Um, and then in that same category, it could be like, okay, God, so you're going to do this thing. It makes me think of... Um, the movie Practical Magic. I don't know if uh, anybody's familiar with that movie. Practical Magic with Sandra Bullock and, um, and uh, uh, yeah. Anyway, San Sandra Bullock's character um, essentially doesn't want to fall in love. She doesn't want to find somebody. And she makes 
well, yeah, she makes this oath that, uh, she, she, you know, she's a witch, so it's like a whole other thing. But she makes this oath saying, like, okay, something to the degree of, like, you're going to have to send me a man who is, you know, in his 30s, has one green eye, one one blue eye, um, and fills, fulfills all these other requirements. And then, like... Exactly. Well, and that's... Yeah. And that's the thing. And of course, yeah, no mystery. It ends up happening. But it's just so funny because she's like, here are all these specific things. It's very bold. And that sort of feels a little bit like what's going on with Abraham and Eliezer. Yes, Malka? I think, I mean, I think it's interesting that if we're going with the Ibn Ezra commentary Mm -hmm. as our basis, Mm -hmm. it's interesting that, that not only Abraham, but also Eliezer is they're experiencing a moment of doubt, mm-hmm. even though God is probably sitting there going, excuse me, have I not come through for you yet? Mm-hmm. And right. also, I just, I'm remembering a teaching I once heard about how God chose our ancestors because of their spiritual DNA. And mm-hmm. it's it's just really interesting to me that he his, you know, um, caveat that the the maiden who's generous enough to give him and his camels water is the one that he wants because mm-hmm. that obviously speaks highly of her character. Right. Right. Great. I love that. Um, so this is going to be a day of spoilers. Spoilers. It, it works out. <laughs> right. Um, he, uh, he finds and movie vignettes. Yeah. Spoilers <laughs> and movie vignettes. Sorry. You know, <laughs> Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And I think our, our story is pointing us to the fact that, that yes, um, Eliezer is going to find a wife for Yitzchak, and he does, he finds Rivka. But there's still this question of the, the Malach, right? So Abraham asks God, says, don't worry, God's going to send this Malach before you. And then we don't hear anything about a Malach. And then Eliezer, let's say he prays to God that this works out, and then it does work out. So I'm just curious, what what do we think about um, this figure that may or may not have been in between these two moments? Do we think it was just a person? Do we think it was something divinely ordained or something otherwise? Like, what does this what does this bring into your mind? Because I find it really bizarre and really cool. Yeah, well, hold on one second. If we get physical universe, uh huh. Because they're not physical. Oh, so, my, so we, where did you come from? <laughs> so you're saying we don't always see. <laughs> <laughs> yeah see exactly i love that so for those who are going to be listening on the podcast um eli is walking around with the microphone and um and just sort of appeared mysteriously and said oh am i the malach am i the malach um which i think I, there you go playing the role um so i want us to hold that story we're going to be jumping around here and this is i this is a little experimental a little bit fun so i joey did you have something to say i'm sorry did you have something to say no, no? okay great so we're going to be moving to Parshad Vayeshev, Vayeshev, which is the story of Joseph. So just to orient ourselves, it's after he, Joseph has all of his dreams, and then his brothers go go off, and he's going to retrieve his brothers, who ultimately send him off to the Egyptians. Um, and so his father, so this is uh, Genesis 37, 13 through 17, and I'm going to read this in... Oh, Great. 
So Israel said to Joseph, your brothers are pasturing at Shechem. Come I, will, uh, come, I will send you to them, he answered. I am ready. And he said to him, said to him, go and see how your brothers are faring, about how your brothers are and how the flocks are faring, and bring me back word. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron. When he reached Shechem, a man, see that in bold, came upon him wandering in the fields. The man asked him, what are you looking for? He, asked, he answered, I'm looking for my brothers. Could you tell me where they're pasturing? The man said, they've gone from here. Uh, they've gone from here. For I heard them say, let us go to Dotan. So Joseph followed his brothers uh, and found them at Dotan. So if we look at the Hebrew and the English, you'll see that there's this word, ish, bolded in the Hebrew, and then man, bolded in, uh, in the English, right? There's this ish that completely changes the course of Joseph's life. So what, what happens, I, I just said it, but what happens after Joseph encounters this ish and goes and finds his brothers? What happens? He gets thrown into the pit. He gets sold off into slavery and he goes down into Egypt and he makes a name for himself after a lot of, a lot of trial and tribulation and so on and so forth. All right. But what if this, what if this ish weren't there? This would have been a completely different story, right? These could have said, yeah, I saw him going up to, I don't know, they're, they're headed towards Jerusalem or something. I have no idea, you know, get out of my face. Don't bother me. You know, could be that Joseph didn't find his brothers and, you know, things just sort of carried out in a different way. But this, this person which is standing in the field was instrumental to making this story happen. So there are a lot of folks who wonder, is this just a guy? Is this just happenstance? Or is this person, has this person been put there sort of divinely, right? And I, I don't know about you, but I think about that a lot in my life. I think about the moments, the sort of like turning points in my life where somebody said the right thing or said the wrong thing um, and, and shifted my path either to the left or to the right or backwards or forwards, Um and we all have that in our lives. I'm sure that you can think of so many examples of that, of that happening and of you being that person as well. I mentioned a couple of weeks ago at my last year on the way to shul for Mincha and for Shishit and everything that, um, that someone stopped me uh, just, just right on my block and said, you know, I'm, you know, I hope you're doing okay with everything that's going on right now. Um, and, uh, it's, you know, he just said some very kind words and you're just somebody, I, I, he's some ish on the road. I didn't know who he was, but I was completely in my head about coming here and like making sure I wanted to get everything right and telling myself, if you make a mistake, it's going to be okay. It's low pressure. You know, people are lovely and kind and forgiving and you're, you're learning. It's great. And then he completely pulled me out of that just with his kind words. Right. And I was like, Oh, Oh yeah. People are kind. People are lovely. People do notice and they take time out of their day. And this ish is someone who took time out of his day to listen to, to Joseph. He didn't dismiss him. He didn't, you know, he didn't say, leave me alone. He was like, oh yeah, I did see somebody. You know, he took, he took his time. And that was pivotal to, to Joseph's life, right? Um, so let's, let's move forward to the, uh, I just want to sort of uh, march us through here a little bit. Um, so Rashi on uh, this, this verse 3715 um, about the Ish, uh, says, if anybody, does somebody want to read it in the English or the Hebrew for us? Yeah, Joey, just hold on one second. Eli's going to give you the microphone. And a man found him. This was the the angel Gabriel, Genesis Rabbah 84.14, as it said, 
and the man, Gabriel. Great. And the, so in the parentheses it says, the Haish Gabriel, right? Gabriel. So, yeah, Gabriel, Gabriel, same, same thing. So, Great. thank you. Ish means man in Hebrew. Right, so then, so then what's, what's Rashi doing here? How is he interpreting this Ish? As an angel, right? He's saying this Ish is, this Ish is divinely ordained to be there. He's not just a guy. He's not just some dude on the, on the road. He's someone who was placed there for a reason, right? Um, and now let's move forward again. We're, again, we're jumping around. I'm looking at all the, all the Anashim, all the Ishes here, to the story of, of Jacob, right? So um, we don't have to read through the whole thing. I'm just going to summarize what we already know. Jacob uh, is essentially, you know, fleeing slash also going towards his brother Esau. Um, and he encounters this mysterious Ish, right? The word, again, is Ish in uh, verse 25 there, so 3225. Um, and he wrestles with him. He wrestles with him until daybreak and asks him, what's your name? And the Ish says, don't ask my name. Um, and he's like, I'm not going to let you go unless you bless me. And then the Ish, you know, basically injures him, as, injures him at his thigh, and they sort of stop their wrestling. And this is where this Ish gives gives Yaakov his new name, Israel, like the one who has who has struggled with with God, right? And again, this is just an Ish. It doesn't say Malach. It says Ish. So there are some who think, oh, maybe this was Esav. There are others who say, like, maybe this is sort of like the dark side of, ya- of, of, of Yaakov. Um, there are others who say, maybe this is just a random guy. And then there's still others who say, and, and Jacob is one of them, this is a divine being who I have seen panim al panim, face to face, and I've survived to tell the tale, right? So I just want to take a, take a moment. I just want to pause in here to see if there are any reflections on, on this idea of the Ish and uh, sort of those encounters. Yeah, Bobby, if you could. Thanks. So first of all, Yashikorak, I love this. And second of all, um, the angel for me is kind of like where the rubber meets the road mm. or like where... Yerushalayim shall, uh, Yerushalayim Lamala and Yerushalayim Lamata. It's like heaven and earth, and in the middle there is the horizon, is the sunset. It's oh, like, beautiful! It's the magic, right? Mm-hmm. And and in this way, it's like if we're partners in creation with Ribbon Shalom, then we're 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 succeeding and we're building and we're creating and we're failing and we're making mistakes and we're destroying at times, mm. just like God does with the flood or with whatever other things that we see at the beginning of, of, uh, sheet. Mm-hmm. And I think the angel is kind of like what you make of it, right? It's that's cool. like you, you're gonna, you're gonna sometimes grind it out in good ways and feel like you're really in sync with God and have those godly moments like on the, on the street. And then sometimes you're gonna maybe have a difficult, you know, uphill battle. And even though that really feels like God isn't there, God is maybe with you in a different way and the angel or whatever it is, is steering you in that direction mm. just through your own will. That's great. I love this idea of steering. That's sort of, sort of what I've been thinking quite a bit about this idea of paths and steering and being in touch with it. So that's, that's wonderful. Yes. Yeah. Yes, Eli. Um, on that note, I think what your comment made me think about is that the fact that it is an ambiguous word, that mm-hmm. it's an ish and not a, an angel, right. gives me the space to make of it what I want it to be. Mm-hmm. I think that if it was written that an angel did this and, and we knew exactly what is that, it, I'd already have a picture or an idea 
of what that should be or all the characteristics that come along with it. But the fact that it's an ambiguous phrase, an ambiguous term, it allows me to, to kind of build my own image in my head um, of, of what I want that experience to be like and what that means to me personally. So the, the, the ambiguity really helps me connect to it even more. That's great. I love that. One more. One comment, Aviva. Yeah, I love that it's Isha Isha that we have this chance to be angels for people. Mm -hmm. We can show up in someone's life and offer them a kind word or give them directions. Hopefully, directions that don't get them thrown into a pit, but directions <laughs> of you know with a more clear, quick, happy ending, and that we have that ability to how that we can be just like creating that magic, that space for people in our community, in our lives. And I also am just so struck at um, Genesis thirty-two twenty-five mm -hmm. when he says like. Um, basically, like you'll be no longer known as Jacob, but Israel. Like here's this blessing you're called Israel. And the very next line, Jacob asked. Right? It doesn't mm -hmm. say Israel asked. Mm -hmm. And I think as we're looking at these of the our different ancestors, our biblical ancestors, and you know, sometimes we put them on a pedestal. Like they were so great, they did everything right. But we're seeing here the stories of Abraham and Eliezer, and here's Jacob, that they themselves weren't perfect. Mm -hmm. They had their own doubts. They had their own questions. This way, were they praying to God? Were they gambling with God? Like, if you do this, I'll do this. And I think to me, that feels really reassuring. Mm -hmm. That on one hand, I can be like an angel in someone's life, show up as this Isha Isha, mm -hmm. but also that I can still be great like my ancestors, and I don't need to be perfect. I love that. And Right. I'll... So we're saying in the room that nobody in our nobody in our in our in our Torah is perfect, right? They're profoundly flawed. We go to school and we, you know, we go to school and we think our our founding fathers of our country were perfect. No, they weren't. They were mm -hmm. very very flawed. They messed yeah. up plenty. They made yeah. plenty of mistakes. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that that's such a beautiful sentiment because as we're all imperfect people, and sometimes we need to hear things more than once to get it, right? There's, there's this thing that's like notable in Torah and Tanakh more broadly, when, when a word is repeated back to back. So we have in this story of, of Yaakov meeting this Ish. Um, so this is verse 32, 31 on your page. So Yaakov called the, the name of that place Peniel, and then he says to himself, Ki elohim panim el panim nafshi. Because I saw a, a, a godly figure of some kind uh, face to face, and, I, and, and my life has been preserved. So we have this word, this, this word panim, which is actually a dual word, which is interesting. But panim el panim, right? There's this sort of like repetition in close succession, which I just think is notable, and I want us to hold on to that as we move to the next piece, which will then what will sort of like jettison us towards towards the end of our shiur, because uh, I'm just looking at the time here. So, um, thinking of Parshat Bayera, which we're which we're coming out of from this week, we have the famous story of the Akedah, in which uh, Abraham Abraham is asked to sacrifice his son, right? And you know, I don't. I, it's 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 horrifying. It's scary. There's so many questions as to like how could God ask somebody to do this? How could how could He do this? Um, uh, but he follows through, right? He trusts God, sort of in the same way where he he said, you know, don't worry, God's going to send his messenger. Abraham is is a man of trust, a man of many things, but certainly a man of trust. Um, and he's up there with the machelet, with a knife, ready to do the thing. And then suddenly, a messenger 
קוזת ויקרא אליו מלאך, מלאך ארנאי מן השמיים ויאמר אברהם, אברהם, ויאמר הנני. So then a messenger of God called him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Twice, he said his name twice. He didn't just say Abraham and God was like, הנני, I'm here, הנני. No, he had to say it twice. What, what, what? What do, we, what do we think this means? Why did, why did, why did the Malach have to, say, have to say this twice? Does anybody have an idea? Well, yeah, well, you're reading ahead. That's not fair. <laughs> yeah. Um, but let's say that he was so absorbed in what he was doing. Oh, yeah. We're asking, have you ever seen a teenager play video games? It's hard to get their attention. You have to shout their names a couple times. Not just teenagers, adults. I'm one of those adults sometimes. Um, And, uh, but he was so absorbed in his task that he, he didn't hear the first Abraham, even though it was a shout. Here, the second, Abraham. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, I, here I am. Here I am. Right? And he kind of came to his senses. And the story took a different turn. Right? There was a, that's, a, that's an interesting debate. But there was, a, there was a ram there, which he then sacrificed. And, you know. He didn't have to sacrifice his son. I don't want to say all good because I can't imagine the walk back. Um, but back home, that's, that's, a, that's a question for another, another time. Um, but Ibn Ezra says here that the repetition ex- expresses urgency, right? And I want us to just draw our attention to another moment in which the, um, there is a repetition of a word, but this is said by a person, right? In 2 Samuel 19.1. So this is when David was warring with his son Absalom, Absalom, And he commands his, his, his uh, sentries or his, his troops not to kill Absalom, uh, Absalom, uh, Absalom. I jump back and forth between the two. Um, if they find him, but he does. They do. They do kill him. And they tell him. And he says, it says that when uh, the king was shaken and he went up to the upper chamber of the gateway and wept. So he was by himself. Mourning these words as he went. Veni, veni, Absalom. says, my son, my son, I've lost sight. I've lost sight of our relationship. I've lost sight of what was truly important. I, I was absorbed in the war of our, of our lives, and I lost you. And he repeated the word twice, two times. Veni, 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 veni. And that's what it took to snap him out of out of that right so flipping to our last page here i want to look at uh a piece from isaiah 63 which we should all which we're all familiar with which were we just said in mincha the karaze elzevama kadosh 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 aronites of old manoko arets kibodo and one would call the other the angels this is a, the story of like isaiah's sort of Um, call to action moment. Holy, 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 God of hosts whose presence fills the earth. These angels are speaking in the plural, and this time they're saying it three times. And what do we do? What do we do at this moment when we're davening? We go up on our toes. We bounce up and down. We shake our bodies. We draw further attention by shaking ourselves. So I want to leave us with what this, first of all, this fun exploration of who, is the, who are these who is, who are these Ishes, who are these people? Are they divine? Are they holy? What are they doing? How do they direct our paths? But also to use 
the Kavanah of doing the Kedusha as an opportunity to sort of like shake ourselves, shake ourselves back into what we need to be focusing on for loss and something else. Because sometimes there are sometimes where there won't be an ish on the road, right? Other times there will be. We don't we don't rely on miracles. We're told not to rely on miracles from God, but thank thank God they you know sometimes people come into our lives that change things. But we have this opportunity every time that we daven, every time that we pray, to say kadosh, 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 to shake ourselves and wake ourselves up. Which is why I called this sure wake up, wake up. Um, yes. What's that? So can you? Sure. So I'm saying let's use this idea, kadosh, 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 as we as we as we bounce when we're davening to sort of shake our attention like away from ourselves to something bigger than ourselves. Because what we're doing is we're imitating the angels and we're praising God, right? As opposed to being in our own worlds, we sort of open ourselves up to the thing that's bigger than ourselves. We're not so focused on what we're doing in that immediate moment, but allowing ourselves to to awaken to something greater than ourselves. And what's that? Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a great piece of choreography, you know. Screen and say, urgent, 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 sure. emergency, emergency, emergency. Yeah. So listen up. Mm-hmm. You know, the great Almighty is talking. Exactly. Um, but I wanted to mention a string that I, I feel through all of these readings that it is so very, very obvious. The Creator is always doing the wonderfulness. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. dare we call it the magic. But that doesn't mean we're always getting it. So He's giving, mm-hmm. but we're not always giving. Mm-hmm. Like the radio is always on every mm-hmm. station, oh, but we're beautiful. not hearing it unless we're yeah. tuned in. That is very real to me yeah. in all of these readings. Another thing about the repetition, uh, you know, very often things are repeated because they are very important. That's mm-hmm. why they're repeated. Yeah. The only thing that's repeated five different times is about boundaries, especially ancestral boundaries. And right now on the other side of the world, we have people killing each other over what they say are boundaries. This is mine. No, this is mine. No, this went back to so-and-so. This went back to such-and-such. And that kind of tribulation over things like boundaries but the scriptures say such things are important uh, or they wouldn't be mentioning it five times however you know we quoted deuteronomy in here like deuteronomy 11 specifically yeah. but also in deuteronomy is the greatest commandment of all of all of all you know mm-hmm. to love the creator with all of your heart and soul etc but also in leviticus 19 is about forgiving and not retaliating and treating each other the way we would want to be treated. Mm-hmm. And right now, when the whole world is going to Hades in a hay basket and on the verge of, you know, starting nuclear wars, maybe we need to, you know, try some of that more communicating, more compassion, more consideration, more love, more yeah. forgiveness, so that we don't blow the planet up. Thank you for that. I want to, as we navigate the sort of difficult times that we're in, um, again, I, I want to invite us to use, again, this moment for Kadosh, Kadosh, Kadosh to help shake ourselves awake, to be aware, to to connect as best as we can. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.